Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bearer. I'm John Birdsall. How yes, are we doing, are. Kirk? We're doing good. We're doing good. Yeah. Um, it's a new I don't era. Know if you noticed, but we have a new administration. That's Wait, been, what? Yes. Some, I, paying attention? No, I didn't know anything was going on. Yeah, it was a big deal. Wow. It was a big gala of sorts. It was, was it because, of, did, was there a new president because of the riots? Did they install like the guy? It wasn't in, that way. It wasn't the guy with the horns? No, no. They uh, he was ready to take office though, from what I hear. Yeah. Um, seriously, without uh, engaging in a lot of bashing of the uh, former president of the United States, who, by the way, um, had to his merit things that were um, good for our country in some ways. I mean, the economy definitely had a. Uh, and depending on your perspective, if you like, you know, to encourage businesses to uh, find ways to expand and make money, certainly deregulation is part of that. That's all part of a, you know, a very common conservative agenda. But um, so much of the other things that were part of this administration were, you know, ironically very contrary to um, a traditional Republican approach to things. Which is why people loved it. Yes. A good segment of people okay. loved that part. And I get it, but it was it was not Republicanism. You know, well, I, I think you touched on, I think, an important point. Um, and it kind, of, it kind of jives with what the now president, Biden, said in his inaugural address, which was, you know, paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, we can disagree, mm-hmm. we can have debates. The, the, the politics, does, politics does not have to be total war. Right. And that's the essence of democracy, really. And so I think that. when you were saying something about Trump, you know, he did a couple of good things. And you know what? I give him that, too. You know, as much as I dislike the guy, mm-hmm. I give I will give credit where credit's due, even if it hurts. Me. And let's, <laughs> let's you know, one thing I think we all realized is that many of the people that voted for him didn't vote for him because they like him as a person. That kind of became irrelevant at some point. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I mean, I've said it, I think, last week. We were just talking about this. You know, there's something about a person that has no experience in politics isn't entrenched in the world of politics and really is just a guy who's willing to do the job that is appealing to our sense of democracy and there were many things that ended up happening that were you know anti-democratic but well on this point i you know i i just got done saying you know we can give him credit for credits due you know some people loved moving the u.s embassy to jerusalem some people loved pulling out of the climate accords some you know and but what they loved most was judges mm-hmm. 300 federal judges three supreme court justices right i mean now now here's here's where i'm going with this it has nothing to do with oh they're conservatives blah 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 you know you get to appoint who you want to appoint and i think a lot of the people that were appointed even if i wouldn't agree with them i would not say they were unqualified yeah. you know they're very they're very very bright I, i've uh, become jurists i've and, become respectful of you know neil gorsuch for example yeah, yeah and and you know what i grew in reading his many decisions to really appreciate a lot about Scalia. Mm-hmm. i really did but my point is is that um, we're talking about democracy, and to get those judges in was oftentimes just a raw exercise in power. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with compromise, had nothing to do with negotiation. It had to do with shoving it down your throat because they could. Right. And that's the same thing they did with Merrick Garland, yep. um, holding it open for a year. Well, so, so what I hope is that... Um, this total warfare approach to politics 
is gonna kinda like back off a little bit and we're gonna take the temperature down and we're gonna have a little more negotiations. And you know what, this is really brewing because of the, 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 the pending hoopla over the filibuster in the Senate. Right. And um, uh, so while I'm hopeful and optimistic, I, I still have a feeling there's a, still a lot of full-blown warriors out there. Well, and you know, I hate to say it, but you know our system is designed in such a way that it does accommodate for the fact. I mean, if you're talking strictly legally speaking, what how the Senate works, how the House of Representatives works, how a representative democracy works, um, you know, there is no debating if we're talking about the law that uh, when Merrick Garland was up for. Uh, you know, Supreme Court, as President Obama's nominee, the Senate was in control and had had the legal right on behalf of their constituents to delay the process. And yet, when, uh, you know, on the same argument, when there was a very, very short period of time after Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, they were still in control. I mean, and that's, that's the argument you hear. It sounds like it completely ignores any sense of fair play or what do you want to call it good citizenship but you know in that sense there isn't really much you can complain about now what i saw and i know you did too is that we're trying to we're gonna hopefully enter a a new era of the old civility and i don't i don't mean old civility in the sense like it's the old ways or the i mean i see a lot of progress coming and i think the fact that president biden in my estimation probably is going to be very Um, talented at getting people to talk to each other and that's something that President Trump frankly was not able to do so he was he was just lucky that he was able to push things through because of the Senate being in control so I heard a wonderful interview with a journalist who wrote a book uh, about Biden and I'm gonna butcher the title but it was something like um, the life the run uh, and what now or something like that Mm -hmm. and and the the man's name escapes me but it it was a wonderful interview uh, with Preet Bharara um, who was fired by Trump as the U.S. attorney <laughs> for the Southern District of New York, but that's a whole different story. But anyway, the, the he really touched a lot on his life about like where he grew up, you know, and how his values and, you know, how his, his passion for politics. And um, uh, even at the tender age of 29, getting elected to the Senate, I mean, literally the day he was elected, he could not take office under the Constitution, because you have to be thirty. Yeah. So, um, and then the tragedy of his wife and children getting killed, and um, uh, and how that affected him, and how, and I guess the the real thing was the arc of his development over the years in terms of getting along with people, reaching out to the other side, and he had this reputation, and I think this is really where I'm going with this. He had this reputation as kind of like, uh, kind of like, you know, center, kind of like. Just gonna try and do a little bit, little bit, little bit, but never anything big, and 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 I think that's a misreading of where he's at now, mm-hmm. uh, because the the stimulus package that he's the one point nine trillion dollar thing, that is like some New Deal stuff, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's super, big. Yeah, that super, is big, yeah. big, big, and. Um, if he can get that through, that is a major, like in the first 100 days, that is a major accomplishment right off the bat. Uh, but, you know, so I so I think it's a mistake to say he's sort of like, eh, he's not really going to push for the big things, you know, because that was sort of the rap in the, during the campaign. Yeah. Because... Because he wasn't pounding the table like Bernie right. and Elizabeth, t- you know. Sure. You know, and, 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 um, and so I think it's a misreading of him. And I think he's really 
grown to understand what his role is here and his role in history, frankly? Well, I, I think so, too. I think there's one thing that I got from um, the speeches, you know, the inaugural speech. By the way, um, oh, I know you'll appreciate this, but you you heard the whole inaugural speech, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Right? There were portions of it. I mean, I would say a good 50% of the speech um, basically um, followed or, or organization-wise and theme-wise President Lincoln's inaugural address I, in so I, many ways. I thought he even talked about better angels. Yes, he, he used uh, you the know. term better angels. <laughs> and, well, that's a dead giveaway right there. But. Which, which, <laughs> which, is, which is a genius term. Yeah. You know, and I wouldn't actually back and when because because I believe he used that same term in his um, uh, acceptance speech. Uh, and so I went back as the geek I am <laughs> and I actually read. Yes. Lincoln's uh, first inaugural and that better angels is the very last line. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it is all about how southern states northern states we got to be we're a union we got to stay together and we understand and i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna disturb i'm not gonna disturb slavery where it exists but we're not you know i but i you know we got to have an accommodation well, spoke, spoke in broader terms he talked talked about how it's not his position is not going to be correct to force correct. anything but but one thing i could say is that the word that you see so com commonly used repeatedly in lincoln's address is the word union Okay, repeatedly, it's all yeah. about union. Well, this one, this one, it was unity. You know, re replace that word with unity. So, you know, uh, hopefully, he has the appeal that um, uh, that Obama didn't. Obama had, and by that I mean he's white. <laughs> okay, there's, there's that. Okay, yeah. and. Just to be very blunt about it, I mean, that was a lot of the opposition to Obama was based on his race. It certainly wasn't based on his intelligence. He's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It wasn't based on his lack of being able to orate. He mm -hmm. was a great orator. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, it was sort of like I, I think back to Mitch McConnell early on in his first term saying we're going to make him a, our only job is to make him a one-term president yeah and and i know what you mean i mean it's uh, you're not saying that it was you know overt racism no but, but race played a role in you know the overall perception of people's i mean subconsciously i think it's important it was partly that and partly he was like this new upstart new upstart that's right two years in the senate like who is this how kid? did it happen so fast who right. is this kid what is he gonna do that's right all right <laughs> well anyway we do have to take a break but we'll be right back after these messages we are back with more of saving the world by kirk and john isn't, <laughs> isn't that isn't it crazy well, i think we, i think we, we worked for the past four years to uh, save the world and and the, yeah, we did yeah, it we did it congratulations yeah. okay. it has uh, nothing to do with us obviously <laughs> but um yeah i mean you you made a very good point in the last segment that um joe biden has shown a side of himself that i didn't know was there and i don't know if it was just acting or what but yeah i've always had the same impression too he's kind of like you know he is the swamp that uh trump wanted to drain essentially right i mean that's the argument by that you mean in like politics professional for many, many years yeah, yes. professional politician types yeah yeah i, I mean I a career politician is what i mean not the lobbying you know who knows about all that other stuff no that's that's, that's the, another matter that's swamp monsters man that's the swamp monsters that's, that's, <laughs> no by the way i heard this and I confirmed it, so I'm not just uh, um, imagining things. I have been prone to delusions now and then. 
uh, especially those. I have known, I have noticed that in those, the office. Those of grandeur in particular. Uh, I've noticed that in the office and occasionally in court. Yeah, it happens. You know, I'm like, judge, I don't care what you say. This person is not guilty. I know the jury just said guilty, but that's <laughs> what they fake, meant was fake verdict. Not guilty. Fake verdict. You just yeah. couldn't hear them say the not part. Yeah, it he mumbled very, on that first quiet. part. It was quieter. <laughs> so, um, but you know the the anti lobbying. Uh, rule that President Trump in, put into place the day he took office where he required all uh, people that worked under his administration to abide by a five-year you know, moratorium on lobbying after, and I believe it was after they stopped their job, after they stopped their work with the administration. Um, one of the last acts of President Trump was to repeal that. Um, which basically makes it null and void as if it never happened because the administration ended the same day that he repealed it and now there's no nothing preventing anybody from lobbying. Um, interesting little side note. Uh, you may think that sounds kind of shady. President Clinton did exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Yeah, there's like subtle power games <laughs> that, that, that there's so much noise and fireworks and stuff going off all the time that you you uh, this this is the kind of stuff that really matters yeah and it gets sort of ignored well it's because kind of, you know we're watching the main attraction in the center ring right exactly you know but that's that is kind of a big deal I mean that that was something you know, promised by President Trump and and sounded very above board ethical right I mean so I have to say like the swampy argument it's a legitimate argument it is you know um, and. So back in the 80s, when I was a young pop college student, I interned on Capitol Hill for a Wisconsin congressman by the name of Tim Petri, a Republican. And, um, and not that that mattered because, you know, when you're an intern on Capitol Hill, you know, you don't do anything of substance. Right, you it run, doesn't really you run, matter. You run, yeah. you run U.S. flags. Uh, for constituents down to the flag office, and they they fly them above the Capitol for ten minutes, and then they give them to constituents. It's a big well, thing. nowadays you hide under a random desk. It's but a I big mean, thing. That back but, then, it's but the point is, is that what I so the, what I noticed on Capitol Hill, gee, even as a college student, was our office got every single day invited to some event by realtors or grocers or the oil industry or somebody like that every single day and it wasn't just actually there was multiple times a day we would receive these and it always says you know all inviting all members and their staff well we saw the annual staff part and as college students we know like, when there me. was going to be free food and beer <laughs> free food and beer and um i put on Round a lot trip of tickets to I put, on, I put on a lot of weight that fall <laughs> but um uh and the member or at least our member it was rare that you see many actual members of congress show up it was always their staff and and um and they were for all of these like very 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 specialized interests and it, it always, on one hand, it kind of bothered me that uh, these guys had all this money to spend on, you know, just lavish, frivolous things to to try and curry favor with, so that, you know, because you knew whatever bill that they were interested in wasn't worth the price of some beer and some sandwiches. It was worth billions, you know, sure. or hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, it well, was... Let me, let me ask you about that, though, because I know, like, our mm -hmm. rules of ethics that apply, uh, we're not... 
Well, I should say more so the ones that apply to prosecutors and judges. Uh, we're not allowed, for example, if we were going to go out to lunch with the prosecutor on a case, I can't buy that person a cup of coffee uh, because the rules of ethics prevent that. Um, there's a specific rule in place. And I, I have a general sense of how lobbying works, and I think it's probably more, you know, more the stuff of nightmares than, than reality. But it seems to me that what's clearly going on, and I know how lobbyists get paid and what they get paid to do, which is to influence legislators, right? I mean, you know, hey, man, this is what we're really interested in. It's supposed to be based on merit, but I know there's all this stuff that goes along with it. Let me tell you, those guys are a constant presence. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody in Washington knows it. Uh, it's a legitimate complaint to, co- to say that, you know, inside the beltway is all that matters because that's why there's all these hugely rich neighborhoods yeah. <laughs> in Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> even though there's huge, massive poverty along the other side now, of the Capitol. Now, I, let me ask you but, this. I just, go ahead. But I'm no, sorry. what I was going to say was that, that um, what I've heard other members say is that and this is a rare moment of honesty, where they say, we need those guys. Everything's too complicated. Even, we can't even, you know, we can't, our, even us and our staffs, we can't know everything there is to know about drilling in the Arctic or, you know, or, or safe drinking, drinking water in Flint or whatever the or, or infrastructure. That sounds like a cop-out, I'm oh, afraid. Oh, well, I didn't say, I'm just telling you <laughs> yeah. what was told to me and, um, or I overheard, and I, and I was like, um, well, that's, that seems a little lame to me, but, um, I mean, if you're elected a member of Congress, we sort of, we sort of Im- assume a certain level of knowledge about what to do because we're electing you to do that or or at least a willingness to investigate and find out from somebody who doesn't have a financial interest well i think part of the problem is they literally spend over half their time fundraising yeah from the moment they get into office Um, most lobbyists do get paid quite a lot i think it's a rather handsome which is why a lot of ex-members become lobbyists right very lucrative. Um, yeah. And so, that is dirty. I mean, that's and not so, good. And so there's one thing, like, I think I think that um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley basically committed uh, either treason or something akin to it, whatever the Senate version of that is. But um, he had a great line. You mean a high Ted crime Cruz. or misdemeanor? Because anybody can commit treason. <laughs> but but uh, the Senate version of a high crime or misdemeanor. Okay, sure. So what, in 2016, when he was running... Ted Cruz had a great line, and he referred to Washington as the Washington cartel. <laughs> so likening the inner machinations of um, official Washington with a drug cartel. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, just from a stylistic point of view, it was pretty, it was, you know, had a lot of similarities in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons that Trump appealed to a lot of people, because um, whether whether you're on the left or right, everybody's complaining about the swampiness in Washington. They really are. Well, because there's you know, <laughs> come to find out, it was just replaced with a lot of other, you know, improper. Oh well, I'm not yeah. saying that the, the, the Trump. That was just a little tagline for Trump. He didn't really have any intention of draining the swamp. He just, in right. fact, he imported more alligators. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> filled, it, filled it higher. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of people, of extra lot of people, eating in there. a lot of people drain swamps so they could build cities. No, he yeah. wanted more swamp. Yeah, that's how it turned out. It sure does. I I find that all really kind of disturbing because 
if you know that's all stuff that happens behind closed doors you know how we're as lawyers we're always uh, very concerned about what the record shows and mm -hmm. everything's got to be taken down by a stenographer or recorded in some way so that you know so that you know nothing there was no deal in back in the in chambers you know nobody paid anybody off nobody you know no secret handshake and you do one for me I do one for you and and that used to happen but they, there's rules and things like you know penalties and crimes and stuff like that that make it so these things don't happen because people have to have trust in the integrity of the system I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that in the world of how do we get people to respect the law, well, they have people have to have a notion that it's being applied fairly. And I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying you know that's that's how we get there. Uh, that's how we get to equality of application of the law is faith in its uh, objective and universal application. So applying it to this situation where a lot of shady stuff happens. You know, but why? You know, like, why on earth is this silly bill that only affects like you know a very small number of individuals who will clearly benefit financially from it? Like, where is that coming from? You know, and you know exactly where it's coming yeah. from. But, well, it's the same thing when they have a big omnibus bill. Oh yeah. Well, it's like it's literally called a Christmas tree up on Capitol Hill because <laughs> because every member has some little ornament, little that, ornament. that they that they want to put yeah. onto this bill. Well, let's and, take a break. Yep. We need to keep that thought because we'll be back right after these messages. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and well, we were talking about lobbying and things like that. Oh, John is choking. Do you need a nope? I'm all good. A Heimlich maneuver over I'm there. All good. I can't do that. I get, I get, social I get choked up when I talk about democracy. <laughs> and, uh, it's near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got some back, but <clears throat> during the break, while you guys were listening to all those fancy commercials, we were talking about the new press secretary for the Biden administration. What, what's her name again? Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki. Yeah. It's it's and it's kind of weird. The last name is a little strangely spelled. I don't really remember, but it. I remember seeing it it's and not, not thinking that it's pronounced that way. I think it starts with a consonant of some sort. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, like, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, and we were just saying how pleasant it was to you know, hear like an actual fact-based um, press conference. Well, plus, she's going to be doing, like, you know how it was always historically called the daily, daily press conference. Yeah. Pre the daily news briefing or press briefing or whatever they called it. Yeah. And now it's actually going to be daily. Yeah. Because when did they stop doing that under Trump? They stopped in April or something like that. I mean, of, the, of 2020, yeah, yeah they just but, like and they just was, disappeared. And there had been like a six month gap in the in the middle there too. Well, uh, you know, the, the, you can speculate for all different reasons, but um, you know, I think it is fair to say that with every one of those conferences, it just seemed to open up a, a different Pandora's box, and then you had to deal with all those snakes. And before they could be rounded up, you'd have a new Pandora's box and it just just kind of seemed to and you know did the press treat them unfairly I want to talk about this I say no because there was just so much to ask and so much to question and so much <laughs> treat, to you mean treat Trump the, the administration yeah you know, okay because that's been a constant accusation is that the press is the darling of the or the Dem, Dems are the darling of the press and the Republicans yeah. are just the, get their ire for some reason but uh, you know, it depends on your perspective. Is it rude to ask a question that everybody wants the answer to and that is fairly raised by things that are facts that are at least known or...
when the president um, literally like screams at you in front of a live audience, live international audience, mm -hmm. and calls you fake news and says you're corrupt and you're the enemy of the people, yeah. you know, you you can't expect to have a real relationship there. But but let me ask you, and I I can't think off the top of my head, and I could be wrong about this. Absolutely, I mean, but I'm thinking of. Uh, several times. I mean, who was the one guy that, that President Trump like really despised and had his uh, Acosta? Is that who it was? Yanked. Oh, Jones. yeah. Right. And, Jim um, Acosta. ABC, I think. Correct. And he, uh, you know, he asked a question. It was a tough question because it was a tough subject, but it wasn't rude. I mean, it, it had to do with something that was going on right now. And it wasn't it like, how do you explain to the American people that your original estimate is this what it was, was was no more than 15 people yet were here with over 100,000 deaths or something along those lines. And the answer was, that's that's a rude question. That's You're a terrible reporter. I mean, that was a fair question. It was a tough question. It was an uncomfortable question, but it was absolutely fine. You know, it wasn't a yeah. softball. Yeah. Fine. But, okay. So... I was saying to, to John over the break, folks, um, there was a, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a summary of what had been going on after this press conference. I think it was on CNN and Jake Capper. That's CNN, isn't it? He was yes. saying how um, he was. I could tell he was struggling to find a way to, like, criticize the press conference. Um you know, which went very well. I mean, it was informative. It was to the point. There was no shading of things. And, you know, the only time that she uh, deferred a little bit is she said, well, you have to understand, I've been on the job for seven hours now, and the administration <laughs> is, is seven hours and 20 minutes old. So, you know, yeah. The, the, we, yeah. we can get these answers for you, and I promise I will. And um, So, you know, th this is one of many ways that I'm perversely grateful for the Trump administration, mm -hmm. and that is the, um, that we we saw stripped away all these things that we had come to expect. There were norms. There were things that we wanted, you know, like daily press briefings, or you know, the the, the president um, acting, you know, doing traditional presidential things. With some of which he did, most of which he didn't. So, to we now appreciate those things so much more, mm -hmm. because um, the president is more than just you know one person it's like a symbol it's it's a the, the presidency it's not you know it's it's grandeur and it's also it's also power but it's 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 um it's inspiration it's all of these things leadership and yeah and and um and we've seen now when a lot of that just custom and non-legal things get stripped away um, I don't think we like it. I think a lot of people just don't like what they saw there. And a lot of people did, you know, to be fair. But as to the press briefings, I think back to when I became politically conscious, I would say like in college, um, and I would, I would watch those as much as I could, you know, th that and any presidential address. And, and if you remember, most presidents mm -hmm. would have live press conferences where they were up there alone. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean Reagan did a bunch of. When did, I think Clinton really started the trend of having somebody else. Wasn't that George Stephanopoulos that was the press secretary? Yeah, there? yeah. So, um, uh, but and and that reminds me that that sort of harkens to what the British do, which is um, prime minister's questions. Oh, yeah. um, which 
I, which if you've never, I suggest you go on YouTube and watch, just Google prime minister questions. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter who the prime minister is. It is brutal. It is brutal. <laughs> well, it's like brutal by design. And, and if you you've know. ever been inside the parliamentary chamber. All those it, green chairs. Oh, it's cool. tiny. It is tiny. <laughs> so like you can a bowling imagine, alley. You can <laughs> imagine <laughs> with steep sides. fitting all of these members of parliament in there. And, and, and they're literally like, you know. I mean, if they felt like it, all they had to do was stand up, take two steps, and punch the guy in the nose. I mean, that's literally what it feels like could happen. Yeah. But what I'm, what I guess I'm saying is, like, I remember watching all of these and thinking to myself, man, these guys. Jay Carney was a perfect example. It's just like they're just like they'll ask them some question about Mid East. You know, why did you send these troops over here? What do? And they would have like instant, perfectly smooth delivered answers yep. and but by the time they got to the end of their answer you were so entranced with their smoothness and their and their articulate nature that you forgot what the question was or why it mattered and and i began to think i was like you know they're just like putting us in a tr they're just like putting us like in a trance <laughs> here hypnotizing you yeah, so you, and so you and, don't realize what's happening and so and and i you know I was very highly educated and I was very in tune with this stuff and even I would just find my mind just drifting off into like dreamy land. You're like, yeah, he has such a charming <laughs> was gentlemanly dreamy accent. Land. And, and so how can you expect, you know, people with workaday lives and to really pay attention to politics when it's this kind of like, like smoothie smooth well, on the silk other hand, Even thing. during the smoothie smooth silk uh, presentation, it's, it's commonplace and perfectly ordinary for people to be, you know, bashing things and shouting stuff out to interrupt the person, you know, to, to shout them down, you know. I love that, but it's that Oh, in the, in the parliament, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then, the you know, the prime minister will, you know, interject and tell someone to, you know, in a very British sort of way to shut up, you know. Uh, well, <laughs> Stand down, sir, please. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I guess my point was is that, is that we had this genteel veneer of communication and I think a lot of people felt like like just normal people that turned into Trump supporters felt like they were just feeding me, feeding me a line of well-worded BS that used a bunch of stuff words I don't really understand and I and, and but you know you could just tell they were like they were like being paternalistic in a way yeah. and I think and I think a lot of people and I think rightly mm -hmm. got that impression I also think that Trump had a way of explaining an issue or at least creating a creating the, the the position on an issue in such a way that all of us, regardless of uh, intimate political know-how, would understand. You know, this is, you know, Rocket Man and, you know, stuff like that. It was just, it was boiled down to these, you know, and everybody will have an opinion about it, right? But if you're talking about the intricate laws of the ethics of lobbying protocol and, yeah, no, and you know, it your was, average it was, person, including people that go to law it was, school and it everything was, else, don't care. Nuance was never a part of the Trump administration. But to follow up on something that you just said that I very strongly agree with, it is that what had been missing all along, especially for people that had been either involved with or, like you and I, following government closely, just as interested Americans, interested voters, whatever you want to call it, the thing that was so disturbing was the lack of that, of the foundation, the traditions, the, the 
the, the way in which you expect people that you have the nuclear codes to conduct themselves. I mean, I, I, I had trouble identifying what it was that I found so troubling over the years, and I've had an opportunity to reflect on it, but I think that was one of the big things, all, especially after watching the inauguration. It has all the auspices of what we expect America to look like and sound like and feel like with the fireworks and the polished pageantry and, the, and everything else. And it, you can't help, I don't care what your political affiliation is, but you can't help at the end of that process feel like, thank God I'm an American. Well, you know, we I know we're coming up at the end of our segment, but we we want that grandeur, even though we, we we broke away from a king and we broke away from monarchy. But we still wanted that grandeur, that majesty to inspire. That's why Lincoln insisted on finishing the Capitol during the Civil War. Right. That's why we <laughs> have a, that's probably why the we worst have a, time to be finishing. That's a why we like have that. a White House. That's true. Like the White House, everybody that works in the White House, we could really just rent them some basement offices mm -hmm. somewhere in a rundown building mm -hmm. and fortify it so it's like safe and secure yeah. and let them work there without any windows. Right. We like, could do that. Like after it burned down for the first time. <laughs> but we could have we just left it that but way. But we didn't you know? do that. We wanted we want this palace, if you will, because mm -hmm. we kept Symbolic. saying palace industry. Yes, it's 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 something where we want our leaders because we expect a lot of them. So we're going to give them a nice place to stay. You sure. know. Um, all right, we do have to take a break, my man. So we'll all be right, back right after these messages. We are back for one final segment of saving the world. <laughs> nah, I guess I probably blood that one dry. So yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you keep, if you keep saying it, you know, it's pretty I, evident that uh, you're not doing it. Because, yeah, right. You know. It's sort of like when you use the word clearly in, when you're writing a legal brief or something. It's yes. like, clearly this cannot be the case. Which well, tends to mean it's not so clear. If it was so clear, you know, then it would just be very clear. We don't have to say that. I know a prosecutor that likes to use the word without a doubt. In, repeatedly in any kind of closing argument and it just highlights how much doubt there is you know in that particular <laughs> thing he's talking about and I'm like you're not doing yourself any and plus it's like he says that phrase more than anything else just repeatedly and it's like okay you you learned something you've told yourself that that's an effective argument strategy but you know it's getting old man yeah um, well you know uh, I think a lot of people when they become trial lawyers um, if if they're just in some high volume sort of like assembly line, like a DA's office or whatever, um, they they just resort resort back to you know little trite sayings and things like that because they're not going to sit around and like imagine you know it's not like it's not like a Netflix special or HBO special about some big case where they just sit around for days thinking well what words should we use on our opening statement and which <laughs> you know it's not like that it's more like it's more like mash <laughs> you know where they're just like they're flying in the wounded and they're just going to try and patch this up as right. best they can well, I thought you meant because there's a laugh track in the no background. well maybe, maybe that too but I was thinking more like meatball <laughs> surgery like uh, Hawkeye used to call it so um <laughs> but I, I want to follow up a little bit more on what we were talking about because I I think I've really found through the process of retrospective inquiry into my own uh, thought process on this whole ordeal that we went through, the thing that I found most unnerving, again, in retrospect, was the, the lack of all the, um, the types of things that we, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just that I realize, that, and it's not the pageantry or any of that, I just mean the feeling that you trust this person to have the, not only the wisdom, uh, the the and the and the support 
staff of people that know what they're doing, know how the government works, when it comes to really important things like who's whether you have the nuclear codes or not. I mean, if he's got the football with him and he's he's going to take the biscuit out, you know all those terms, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, what's going to happen? And you know, you asked me this question, and I don't remember if it was on the air or just when we were talking, but we were talking about how um, Nancy Pelosi had a meeting with the Department of Defense officials where she's like, "Can you just tell me what happens if, say, for example, this?" president you know gives a nuclear strike order i mean is the military obligated to follow it well the answer is yes i mean they are <laughs> because that's the nature of that particular type of command and we started to get into it but i don't think we fully finished but there's always that every officer in the military and presumably every person who takes an oath to support and defend the constitution has a duty to not to to not execute an unlawful order, but then it gets into an extreme gray yeah, well, zone. That's, there's that's so many the gray zones. But, but in that area of uh, the nuclear strike, I mean, it is very clear, it's drilled into anybody who may have to follow that order, that the moral repugnance of destroying civilization is not a reason to object. So you really have to turn off your humanity. That's what the, those people are trained to do. And it's no secret. It's not, you know, when people goes in, go into the missileer program, and their, you know, their job is to turn the key. Absolutely, I mean, there is they they do psychological drills on this so, where you are tested to see if you will do what you've been ordered to do, even though you may chicken out at the last second. So there seemed to be, and I maybe I misread this, but there seemed to be some indication uh, from one of a very high-ranking general. I don't know if it was somebody on the Joint Chiefs, uh, but who said that um, many of these things that, okay, maybe we have a duty to follow commander-in-chief's order, but, you know, we still have to execute it and figure out how to do it, and maybe this has a committee, and, you know, so you know what I'm saying, slow when walking it comes, it? When it comes to the launch codes, that's something that happens in minutes. minutes. Yes, yeah. it's the, the total process from start to finish. All right, so <laughs> this is what I think of when I think of the launch codes in the inside of the football, they open the football. And which is the briefcase holding the codes, and I see a, a ream of paper, and um, it's it's got you know a bunch of numbers and figures and you know and 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 and, and things just like hieroglyphics, and nobody really and, and and so I can imagine them opening that up and just saying, and then going over to their computer to say, okay, lowercase t, um, three, um, capital X. Um, and then, like, finger pink, it, you know, that's what I, I don't know why. Oh, you mean, like, deliberately slow the process? No, 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 no. I, I, I don't know what good those codes are. Like, does the well, president... all the time. Do the, does the president look at those? No, the, it's only accessed if in the need, in the event that a nuclear strike is ordered. It's the, the football stays sealed. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I understand but, that. But, but then, the, then the people that there's a it's really weird how it works. I mean, there's a I don't know how much of it I can actually talk about. But uh, I do know that some of this just from having been in the intelligence well, well, world. I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is, it's like, OK, is it like like computer hieroglyphics where it's like a bunch of meaningless like data that you can't really understand? Or is it say, you know, like, uh, well, first call up the missile people in Nebraska and <laughs> or what I don't know okay. I really don't and that's right. probably highly classified however that works. I, I would imagine it would be mm -hmm. very very classified which actually brings me to a point or a question all right <clears throat> the people that stormed the Capitol 
everybody's like they're all repugnant about it you know like you know they're condemning it it's just terrible you know even all the republicans and everything i'm trying to get into their heads to say okay let's just war game this for a minute all right let's put it on the strategic board yeah all right, we got 2,000 people. Would you say they were, had about 2,000 people? I don't people? know. I mean, it seemed like that many. Yeah. Okay, so let's just say, let's just be generous and call 2,000 people that mm-hmm. went to the White House, heard the greatest, the greatest speech of all time um, from the president and others who told them that it was trial by combat and let's fight and blah, blah, blah. So we go to the Capitol and let's just say we succeed. Yeah, I think that would have. <laughs> Let's just, nope. Hear me out. Let's say we take over. We take hostages. We take over Nancy Pelosi's office, uh, Mitch McConnell's office. Um, we kick everyone out of the Senate who's not a hardcore Republican. So Josh Hawley's like one of the last people there, right? Um, and then what? Well, I think it's compounded by <laughs> the confusion anyway, by the fact that. I don't know how many were were actually QAnon folks, but you know there was supposed to be an. They were going to go over the, back the, to the pizza parlor, or what? No, no, the military. I don't know. Oh, the military very much was about this, so I'm completely speculating. But my understanding is that there was supposed to be an intervention of the military to flip the government. And I see. That was supposed to happen. I see. On that point, they removed twelve national guardsmen for. And out, of 25, out of twenty five thousand. Out of twenty. Oh, I know it's a minuscule amount, but um, out, out of concern for their allegiance to far right conspiracy yeah, theories. It, nobody got disciplined or anything like that. It was just an abundance of caution, caution because of so, you know Facebook posts or something like that. Well, I did hear. Um, uh, I think it was Mark Milley who was being interviewed about, um, uh, or maybe it was somebody else. I don't know. He's still active, uh, but uh, but somebody in the know. That, talks, that talked about the active military men and women, there is a significant portion of that population that really do, do you know, that really gets into these far-right conspiracy um, militia sort of things. You know, what and I can I tell you about that, having been active duty for many, many years, yeah. it, it's just like the rest of society, except it's a microcosm. You have people from all different backgrounds, all different beliefs, all different... Uh, you know, it's just like America, except all mixed up together in one place, because you'll be, you know, every unit I was in, I was from, with a guy from Kentucky, a guy from New York, a guy from Illinois, a guy from Hawaii, you know, and it's, it's really, it's, I have learned over the years, there are no um, assumptions that you can make about the military. I mean, I knew just as many left wing uh, progressive people in the military as I did right-wing types. I mean, there's no... Okay. That's my experience. I wasn't worried, yeah. particularly, because honestly, even though I think we've misused our military many times over the centuries, sure. in many different forums, mm-hmm. they've also done unbelievably genius, amazing work. Sure. Um, and uh, they, you know, uh, they do have a code. We've got to wrap li- it up now, I'm afraid. That, well, <laughs> I was just about to say... Um, I'm very proud of them in many res- in many respects. That's very nice of you to say. That's all. <laughs> I didn't say you. I said <laughs> well, I the military. I, I, that's why I didn't say thank you. <laughs> I said it's just nice of you to say. All right. So we'll be back next week, as you can hear us every week, right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. It's been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great weekend.